Again, good morning, everyone. I slept in a stable last night, so I'm a little hoarse this morning. I'm fine, so don't... I'll squawk and squeak, but you can hear me, so relax. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn to the book of Genesis chapter 40. If you don't have a Bible, we're really glad that you're with us. <coughs> we welcome you to join us. It's so cool to hear what God's doing. I'm really thankful for this church. I'm thankful for the gifts of the Spirit. This is what the Lord's doing. I'm thankful for Bob's leadership and his vision to expand the gospel and to just hear all the different things that are happening, people's lives being changed, and for the generosity of people giving and just recognizing so many of you are eager to serve and so many of you are serving. To God be the glory. It's just a blessing. This morning we're in the book of Genesis we're going to talk about dreams, and dreams are part of every culture, right? I mean, think about how dreams come into our music. I like dreaming, because dreaming can make you mine, and all of us have probably um, tried to date someone a little above our, our strata, and they're like, in your dreams. So um, somehow Tammy let me, let me climb up to her strata. So... Um, but the thing about dreams is there, there are times in history where God has communicated with people through dreams. You just read it in the Bible, okay? So it makes sense when you think about it. God is invisible, and he has information that he wants us to know. There's a lot of stuff he hasn't told us. The secret things belong to God. But at times in history, he has chosen to use dreams to give us a message. The problem that we face today is how do I know whether God's trying to speak to me through a dream or it was just too much pizza that I ate. So I want to suggest that, first of all, we need to be very cautious to try to get a word from God out of a dream because there's so much subjectivity. We would do well to remember Peter said this, we have the far more sure word of prophecy to which you do well to pay attention. The word of God is the primary way that God communicates to us. But Bear in mind, if you're familiar at all with what's going on in the Middle East, that God is drawing many Muslims to himself. Many, many thousands of Muslims are getting converted. But you have to think about this. These people want nothing to do with Christ or the Bible. So how does God even awaken them to even considering that? Many, many Muslims are having dreams and visions in all different countries in which somehow they see something about Jesus that draws them. They don't get saved from the dreams, but it draws them to then connect with a Christian. And so we don't want to discount that God is still working in this world to bring people to himself. But this morning we're going to look at two chapters that really the story of Joseph, it all began with dreams. Remember, he, he has a young man, he tells his family, hey, I had two dreams. And basically in both of those dreams, you guys are going to bow down to me. The youngest of 12 kids, and he's telling his family, you're going to bow down to me. And they're like, uh, unlikely here, pal. So in this story we left off last week, we saw that Joseph's life was full of troubles. He is now in jail, accused of uh, attempted rape, of which he did not do. But in this period while he's in jail, there's some exciting things that happen. So join me as we start in chapter 40. It says, then it came about after these things that the cupbearer and the baker of the king offended their lord, the king of Egypt. So a cupbearer back then was the, the right-hand man of the king. He tested all of the food first. So people would try to assassinate the king with poison. Now, I don't know what these two guys were doing, but 
Maybe they were bad-mouthing Pharaoh. He's a jerk and he doesn't pass well enough. And meanwhile, Pharaoh's God, you talking about me? Whatever he, these guys did, they came this close to, di to dying. It says in verse 2, Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail. So he threw them in jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. And he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Now remember that wherever Joseph went, like cream, he would rise to the top because God's hand was on him. In Potiphar's house, he rose to the top. We learned last week that in prison, the, the, the head of the prison saw, this guy's uniquely gifted, so he put Joseph in charge. We have to see God behind all of this. Look at verse 5. Then the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, they both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. Now, if I worked in a prison with a bunch of prisoners, I would think it would be very easy to become calloused. Just kind of this cycle of prisoners can't stand guards, guards can't stand prisoners. But, but notice the unique spirit of Joseph, the care that this guy has. Even though he's in jail, notice that he notes that these guys are, are sad, like he can visibly see they're really down. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? No, it's hard to even find people that care anymore, right? To, if you work with somebody, you know, if you see somebody that just looks down, Okay, hey, everything okay? Then they said to him, we had a dream. There's no one who can interpret it. I like Joseph's answer, but it, but it raises some questions. He says, don't interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Somehow, Joseph, over time, had come to discern that God had given him a special gift to interpret dreams. He wasn't boastful. He wasn't like... Bring it. I'm good at this. Right? He, he goes, look, I, I, I get it. God, God can give answers, but tell me and, 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 and let, let's, let's proceed. So they told him. So the cupbearer goes first. He says, well, here's my dream. I had this grapevine in front of me, verse 9, and there were three branches that came out of it. It budded blossoms and had clusters of ripe grapes. And then I had Pharaoh's cup in my hand, so I took the grapes, I squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Meanwhile, the Lord downloads to Joseph the meaning. Joseph said, hey, this is the interpretation. Three branches stand for three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head, which was a sign of restoring you, and, and you will be back in your office. And you will again put, your, put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. That's cool. Hey, here's the, you're going you're gonna to get out of jail. You're going to get your job back. And you're going to be the right-hand man of Pharaoh again, feeding him. Cool. But Joseph says, but wait, hey, one quick thing. <coughs> when you get there, verse 14, keep me in mind. When it goes well with you, do, do me a kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of here. Because listen, he says in verse 14, I was kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I'm in prison. I didn't do anything wrong. 
Now notice what he says, that they put me into this dungeon. The Hebrew word here is a word for a pit. Like, don't picture this as a, as a high-class prison. He's like, I've been sitting in this dungeon for a long time. And if you get in front of Pharaoh, just, just remember the little guy. Not that big of a request, right? Verse 16, the, 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 the bread man's like, hey, do me, do me. So, verse 16, when the chief baker saw that he interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, hey, I saw in my dream and there were three baskets of white bread on my head. Now, ironically, this, this interested me. Not ironically, I guess. It's just kind of unusual. I did some research on this. They had 50, I think 51 different types of bread. Like what? Make Panera look like Stroman. One, like, so, so this guy was a master baker, right? And, 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 and he sees himself with all these breads again. And he says, but in my dream, birds were eating the bread out of the basket. Now at that point, the Lord reveals to Joseph the meaning of this. And I want you to think about something. Joseph is about to tell this man, stinks to be you because you're going to die. That, that's the meaning of the dream. But, but I want to draw something out real quick, and that is part of being a person, but particularly part of being a Christian, is that sometimes we need to tell people things that they're not going to want to hear. It's not good news. Now, I don't know who started this in American culture, but somehow we, we use this preface. To be honest, right? Please don't use that with me. If you are talking to me and you suddenly say, to be honest, I'm going to stop you and say, but wait, I was assuming this entire conversation you were being honest. So when we say to be honest, that's not what we really mean. We generally mean I'm about to say something that probably is going to hurt your feelings or isn't going to be that good news. I want to remind you as a Christian and us as a church that that's part of what it means to be a Christian. The Bible says that we must learn to speak the truth in love to one another. And so there will be times that you need to say something that might be a little painful. Proverbs says, wounds from a friend are better than flattery from an enemy. But here's an important thing to remember. You can be right in what you say, but totally wrong in how you say it. So if you do need to tell somebody something that's difficult, some of you need to get over being people pleasers. You never, ever will do this because you don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Some of you, even as parents, you don't want your kid to say, I hate you. You want your kid to be your friend. Some of you as Christians will never speak out to another Christian. I want to encourage you to recognize that that's a weakness that God wants you to learn to speak the truth. That's what love does. There are times that we need to say things, but we must pray that God will help us to season it, to fill our speech with humility and grace. So Joseph becomes exemplary in that he has to give some tough news. And as Christians, this is one of the things we have to recognize, that we are called to share Christ with others. So it is not enough to simply say, I witnessed by my life, right? Because you could be the nicest person in the world, but you could be an atheist. So there are times that we might even need to speak and want to mention Christ. And many of you are so fearful of saying anything that could be misunderstood or someone won't like you. So notice, Joseph does not flinch. This is the interpretation, verse 18. The three baskets are three days. Within three more days, 
Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and will hang you on a tree and the birds will eat the flesh off of you. Wow. Then it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants. And he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Now, interesting, I was reading one commentary, he made an interesting point. He said, you know, what is this about birthdays, right? Why is it that on our birthday, we feel as though the world owes us a celebration, right? <laughs> it's time for a party for me. And I thought about that. It was actually Calvin who pointed this out. He, he, he talked about the godlessness in which if we simply make our birthday about us and we leave God out, right? Like, it's fine to celebrate. We love someone. We want to celebrate their birthday. But recognize that when we celebrate our birthday, that ultimately it ought to be time to worship. It ought to be a time to say, God, thank you for another year. Whatever happened this year, I'm just grateful that I'm six feet above instead of six feet under. And so I thought, wow, gosh, Debbie Downer ruining the birthday party? No, but as Christians, let's not just be like the world. Let's recognize that even a birthday, we can celebrate and worship God. Now, I can imagine at this point, Joseph is like, finally, God's going to get me out. Man, any day now, I, I know the cupbearer's going to tell Pharaoh, every time he heard the rattling of the gates of this dungeon, he's like, they're coming to get me out. But look at verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Right, And so I'm, I'm imagining Joseph for the first couple days, maybe even weeks, he's like, well, he probably hasn't really had a chance to talk to him. But as time grinds on, how that so easily can weaken our faith when, when we have expectations that don't happen in our timetable. In fact, we're going to learn from the next chapter that it went two more years. Imagine Joseph, two years, thinking, man, I had it in the bag. I'm sure I was going to get out. And nothing happened. But look at verse 1 of chapter 41. Now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he was standing by the Nile. Now, those of you who know anything about ancient history and Egypt, you know the Nile was the source of life. They had all kinds of gods that they worshipped like the sun but Pharaoh himself was, was, was considered a deity. And so for him to have a dream that involved the Nile, the source of life, was a big deal. And so he tells the dream. Lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed, grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and skinny. Now the skinny part I get, I've never really thought about an ugly cow, right? Like you could be a fat cow or a skinny cow, but what's an ugly cow? I mean, I've never really felt like cows were all that beautiful anyway, but these must have been exceptionally distorted-looking cows. And the ugly, skinny cows came up and ate the, the fat cows, and Pharaoh woke up. <gasps> he took some NyQuil, goes back to sleep. Here we go again. Falls asleep and he dreams a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain come up on a single stalk. 
So here comes the beanstalk, yak, right? And out comes seven plump Jersey corn, the first corn of the year ready to be boiled and buttered, right? But then seven more ears came up, scorched by the east wind, and they sprouted up, and the thin ears swallowed the seven plump ears. Then Pharaoh awoke. Another dream. Now Cayman bowed in the morning that his spirit was troubled, so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Now that itself is kind of interesting. You know, as you were growing up and choosing a career back then, there were a lot of people who did this for a living, right? They studied dreams and astrology. They would cut open animals and, and spread their entrails and, and read from their gizzards and things like this. And they had all kinds of mysterious books written about how to interpret dreams and witchcraft and magic. This was their full-time job, right? And these guys get called for a simple thing. Hey, just, could, could, you, could you guys kind of run this through your program and come back to me? And it says, there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And I'm thinking to myself, first of all, I can't imagine that some of these guys weren't BSers anyway, Right? Why didn't they just make something up like, oh, yeah, um, I don't know, right? But, but they're stymied, they're stumped, right? But all of this is God. See the hand of God orchestrating it. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. In other words, whoa, I messed up. <coughs> he does something I would never do. He reminds Pharaoh of that terrible incident. Look at verse 10. You remember when Pharaoh was furious with his servants and he put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker, and we had... Wait, I wouldn't bring that up. Remember when you killed my buddy and you almost killed me because I, I did that thing? Maybe Pharaoh would be like, you know, that, I've been thinking about... I wouldn't even have gone there, right? But he says, that night we had a dream. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation. Now, there was a Hebrew youth with us. Now, at that time, Joseph would have been about 28, right? He's a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one, he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came about just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me in my office, but he hanged the, 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 the beaker. And so he tells him the details, and Pharaoh, Pharaoh's like, wow. I got to meet this guy. Verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. Now, mind you, Joe's been waiting for this for two years, right? He's no more gets excited when he hears the gates clanging. When suddenly, just when he had given up any hope, they go, hey, man, Pharaoh wants, what? Pharaoh, he wants to talk to me, right? Now, here's a funny background thing. People have, you know how they talk about beauties in the eyes of the beholder and and hygiene, and, and hair, and no hair, and so forth. Hebrews were hairy, right? And a beard was a sign of manliness, and, and to have your beard cut off was shameful, right? Egyptians were the opposite, right? They shaved their head. Remember Charlton Heston, so let it be written. So Joseph, knowing that he's going before Pharaoh, he's dirty, and raggedy, and He's, for those of you girls who like the rugged outdoorsmen, right? Those of you who like more of the, like, the smoother men. So, so Joseph's like, whoa, here. Um, he shaved himself, changed his clothes, 
and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says to Joseph, hey, I had a dream and nobody can interpret it. But I heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. This is a big deal. This would have been a golden time for Joseph to indulge his flesh. Well, I'm just saying. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. What do you got for me? Bring it. Let's hear it, right? Notice how quick and careful is Joseph to go, hey, man. To God be the glory. Don't even for a moment think this is about me, right? So notice immediately when Pharaoh says, hey, I heard you, I heard you, 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 you got a gift. Joseph says, it's not in me. It's not in me, right? Um, techni- literally, that means apart from me. So right away, Joseph is modeling for us something that we as Christians have to constantly remember that when God uses us to do something, to God be the glory. It's not a 50-50 or a 90-10. We get some of the credit. It's just a wonderful reminder, especially as a church, as we experience God's blessing, as we see people getting saved. Whatever the Lord does, to God be all the glory. To Him be the praise. It's not about, oh, we've got this great staff, or we've got these great people, or we've got this great building, or we've got all these... Gener- it's, To God be the glory. It's all about God. It's all about him using us broken sinners for himself. And so Joseph says, hey, it's not in me. But now then he does something that I'm like, how did he know to say this? He said, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. The word favorable there is the Hebrew word shalom. Like God's going to give you a peaceful, a good answer. Like Well, how do you know that, right? Imagine if he had said that to the cupbearer, right? So somehow the Lord must have revealed to Joseph that this dream isn't going to be a bad dream, right? So, So here's Pharaoh considered God, and Joseph doesn't really fear him, right? He just says, hey, let God interpret this. He's going to give you a peaceful answer. So Pharaoh says, all right, let me tell you the dream. In my dream... And he rehearses the dream. I was on the Nile, the seven cows, the ugly cows. Verse 21, they were detected that that they had to devour them, but they were just as ugly. Then I woke, verse 22, I saw this. He recounts the, the corn and so forth, right? Nobody can interpret it, verse 24. So Joseph stops for a minute. The Lord is, is revealing to him the meaning, okay? And he says, all right, got this. I'll tell you what it means. Verse 25. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows and the seven thin ears, they're seven years of famine. Which, by the way, like this would be a big deal back then. Seven years of famine. Particularly because the Egyptian fertility was not just driven by rain. It was driven by the Nile. And annually, the Nile would always overflow and wash up the rich silt all over the land. And it was such a prosperous, productive area. So to think of seven years of famine would have been like, what? And so God is giving them this this sense in which you're going to have seven years of abundance and then seven years of 
famine. Verse 32. Now, the reason God repeated the dream is it means it's in determined by God. God will quickly bring it about. Just like, guys, I'll give you an example. When Bob said husbands need to learn how to appreciate their wives and all that they do, you're going to hear that a second time, okay, on the way home. <laughs> and you need to know that is from God. That is from God. It is certain. Okay, so now Joseph steps out on the limb and he says, you know, that's the meaning, but could I, could I give you a little advice? You don't mind me just putting my two cents in? I, here, just saying, here's what I would do as I was you, right? He says, <clears throat> 33, now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the good years that are coming and store them up and guard them and let it become reserved for the land so that the land may not perish during the famine. I truly don't believe that for a moment Joseph's fishing for a job like, hey, you know, um, you should find a good-looking Hebrew guy. And, um, you know, I don't think for a moment he's, he's fishing for this job. He's just saying, here's what I would do. You need to, to tell the people we're going to have seven good years right now, but 20% of it. Need to, 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 to give it us, to us as a tax, and we're going to store it because we've got a famine. So naturally, Pharaoh says, hmm, that seems like a good idea. But then Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this? Now look what he says here. In whom is a divine spirit. He's looking at this little Jewish 30-year-old, and he goes, something different about this guy. Now, this does not mean... Pharaoh was a Christian. Egyptians had lots of gods. But he said, there's a God dwelling in that guy. And I, and I don't want to make light of that. That's a big deal. Because if you remember in the Old Testament, at times, God would put his Holy Spirit into certain individuals. He only indwelt certain individuals, and it was often only temporary for a period of service. So remember when we went through Exodus, when they were making the tabernacle, God said, I put my spirit upon Bezalel, and I've anointed him to make the, in, the, the instruments of the tabernacle. The Holy Spirit comes upon Saul, but he leaves him. David begs God, take not your Holy Spirit from me. But this is important for us as Christians to remember this, that in the new covenant now, God doesn't just indwell some people temporarily. He indwells every Christian at the moment of conversion permanently. Remember that. You have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. And that is both a privilege, but it's also bringing with it joyful responsibilities. Because you have the Spirit in you, you and I have the opportunity to change, to become like Christ in unique ways. Don't just try to be Christian. Pray to God that the Holy Spirit will bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Lord, make me more patient. Make me more loving. Make me more humble. Help me to be more kind. Help me to have more self-control through the power of the Spirit. But also recognize that every one of you as a believer, if you're a born-again Christian, you have gifts of the Spirit. The Spirit has uniquely indwelled you in order that you can use the Spirit's gifts through you to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so let's remember that as a church, there is a divine spirit dwelling in us. 
And as a result, when you go home during the week, it's not just about you and what you want to watch and what you want to spend and what you want to say and where you want to go. Do you not know, Paul said, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you're not your own. Therefore, glorify God. You were bought with a price. Use your body and your spirit for God. So wouldn't it be a blessing that every one of us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our pagan family members, even though they might not like us, they might not understand Christianity, that they might recognize that there's a divine spirit in us, that the Lord lives within those people. And Paul took it so far as to say this, when you assemble as a body in 1 Corinthians 14, and you're prophesying, and the Spirit of God is working, he said, if an unbeliever will come into your midst, he will say, surely God is in the midst of these people. Pray that that will be the case here at Riverstone Church, that people will say, hey, God, this is real. The Spirit of God, God is, in, is at work in the lives of these people. And pray that we can have individual opportunities to, to live out the life of the Spirit. And so Joseph is appointed over the throne. He's given this tremendous privilege to be second in charge. Verse 45 says, Pharaoh named him Zaphonoth Paniah, which means God speaks, God lives. Wow, a pagan looks at a, a believer and says, God speaks, God lives. And then he gives Joseph a wife. Joseph was 30 years old. And he did his job. But verse 50 says, before the famine came, two sons were born to him. The daughters of Potiphar, the priest of On, were born to him. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh. Now, Manasseh literally means making me forget. So he has a little son, and he says, I'm going to name this boy Manasseh. It, now, look at the text. It says, for he says, God has made me forget all my troubles. Amen. Listen, that's how God rolls. He, 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 he takes us to the guttermost so he can lift us to the uttermost. Some of you are in the pit right now, but over and over the Bible says, weeping lasts for a night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. He will turn our mourning into dancing, like a phoenix will rise up out of the ashes. Not always in this life, but remember this, there will be a day when our troubles will be long gone. God will make them to disappear. The, the, the sufferings of this world, Paul said, are not worthy to be compared with the glory to be revealed to us. I like that part. What troubles me is that he says, God has made me forget my father's household. There are some things worth forgetting, and there are other things worth remembering. I don't know about this, but John Calvin pointed out something. He goes, I think this was a bad thing. Because to forget your father's household was to forget the God of your fathers, was to, get the, to forget the promises of your fathers, was to forget the privilege it is to be a people of God. And so I don't know exactly what he means here, but it's worth reminding us that we mustn't forget that we belong to Christ and we're not here for us. And we're here to advance his kingdom, not what kind of wings we're going to have on Super Bowl Sunday. But then Joseph named his second son Ephraim, which means fruitful. Fruitful. Listen, if you have not caught this vision, God wants you as a Christian to be fruitful. But what does that look like? Jesus said, 
I want you to bear much fruit. The fruit that God bears in the lives of individuals and churches is at least in three forms. One is the fruit of character. A fruitful Christian is becoming like Jesus. They're changing for the good. They're bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. A fruitful Christian also, it shows up in their conduct. They're fruitful in good works. The Apostle Paul prayed that we would be bear fruit in every good work. You don't just sit around doing nothing. Paul said, remind every Christian to be engaged in good works so they don't become unfruitful. So pray to God that you might be fruitful in your character, fruitful in your conduct, but also fruitful in having an influence to bring converts to Christ. You and I have particular opportunities wherever we are to touch people with the gospel. You don't have to be the person to bring them to Jesus. But if you pray for them, if you witness to them, if you help them, if you let your light shine before man, Jesus said, I sent you to bear much fruit and that your fruit would remain. But fruitfulness comes not from our public use of our gifts, but from our personal relationship with Christ. Jesus said, if you abide in me, if my words abide in you, then you will bear much fruit. And I want to encourage you to spend time alone with Jesus in prayer, in the word of God, allowing him to teach you to trust and obey him because you cannot manufacture fruit. Fruit is a miraculous work of God. But ultimately, Jesus said this in John 15. He goes, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So pray that you as an individual and we as a church will be very fruitful, amen? That we will see men and women, boys and girls coming to Christ. That's why I beg you to pray that every Sunday as we preach the gospel that the Spirit will minister our Sunday school teachers as we go out into our communities, all of our Bible studies. God, bring about fruit, change, conversions, addicts being set free and meeting Jesus, marriages being put back together, people who are broken and angry and bitter and abused, being healed and helped and hopeful and growing in grace. Oh, that God, through the power of the Spirit, would continue to make us a fruitful church. So Joseph is in charge of everything, and there's a severe famine in all the earth. Now, the backstory is very simple. God knows that the saints in the promised land are going to starve. They're going to starve. So all of this is for this purpose. The sovereign God uses a suffering servant to save his saints from starving. The very first verse next week, the famine was severe and the Israelites came to Egypt to get grain. The sovereign God, this isn't about Joseph, it's about God uses a suffering servant to save his saints from starving. You say, well, what does that have to do with me? Glad you asked. A sovereign God used a suffering servant to save sinners for salvation. And as I look and I look at Joseph, I say, hey, there's parallels. Joseph, remember we said we ought to always be looking for, how does this point me to Christ? The Spirit of God dwelt in Joseph. Don't forget, when Jesus was on earth, John the Baptist says, he gave the Spirit without measure to Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate expression 
of a man filled with the Spirit of God. Joseph was a prophet bringing God's word to his people, but that's Joseph. The Bible says God spoke in many ways in the past, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son Jesus. And so as we listen to the words of Jesus, some of you come from a church and say, oh, we were told this, we were told that. No matter what we were told, it matters what he told us. Jesus is the final prophet. And when Jesus came to earth, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God but by me. And what a joy it is to know that Jesus suffered far more than Joseph did. And you and I need to think about that often. I love that song, and I appreciate Benjamin's gospel-centered focus. I cast my mind on Calvary. You can't do that too often. Every day, you and I need to live in the shadow of the cross and see from his head and his hands and his feet the love and sorrow that Jesus bore for us on the cross as he poured out his blood, as he cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, because God is pouring out all his wrath on Jesus so that I can be forgiven. I want to live in that joy of knowing that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And you and I as Christians are free and forgiven because Jesus hung there and said, it is finished. But the sad thing is there are many who are believers who have forgotten. Like Joseph forgot his family. It's so easy to wander from the cross. And the Holy Ghost may be calling some of you and say, wake up. Get serious about the Savior. You're a child of God, a spirit-indwelled Christian. Why do you want to live in the pig pen? Come and live your life for Christ. Those of you who are walking with Jesus and serving him, keep doing that. But for some of you, I want to invite you to come to the suffering servant, Jesus. Jesus, one of his favorite words was come. Come to me who you are weary. You're tired, you're beaten down. Come to me you who are thirsty. Some of you are going, Man, something's missing in my life. Jesus calls us all. And if you've never come to him, I invite you to come to him for salvation. More than anything else, more than the air you breathe, you need Jesus in your life as your Lord and Savior. Whether you're religious or whether you're careless, it doesn't matter. Jesus paid it all, and he wants to be your Lord and Savior, but you've got to come. You've got to turn from your selfish ways or your proud, self-righteous ways and trust and receive Christ and be willing to follow him. And if you say you've done that, Jesus said, go and make disciples and then baptize them. You say, I'm not telling anybody. That's between me and God. That's not what Jesus said. He said, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. If you haven't been baptized, we have a baptism coming up. Step out in faith and say, I've been saved by Christ. I want to live for Christ. I want to identify with Christ. And then he calls us to be a disciple and a disciple who makes disciples. So be in prayer. Celebrate the grace of God that he sent a suffering service to save us from our sins. And I'm praying, I ask God on a regular basis, Lord, just extend our fruitfulness, reach more and more, men and women, boys and girls, rich and poor, here, Africa, Syria, wherever God sends us. What a joy it is to have a wonderful Savior Christ who's living in us and working through us for the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus.
thank you for all that he suffered, that I don't have to spend one minute in hell, even though I deserve eternity there, because he took my hell, and he took my beating, and he shed his blood, and he poured out his life, and he accepted the penalty that was due to me, the stroke and the piercing that should have fallen to my soul. Oh, to God be the glory. And thank you, Jesus, that you are Lord. And I pray for this church, because you said if we abide in you, we will bear much fruit. Oh, Lord, may we all seek you. May we all serve you. May we all be kept from the evil one. Forgive us for our failures. And Lord, for those that are suffering, I pray that you will turn their mourning into dancing. Thank you, Lord, that the day will come when you will make us to forget all of our troubles. But today, I pray for everyone here. If you're here today and you have not come to Jesus, the best you know how, right there in your seat, just tell him as he speaks to you, Lord Jesus, I want to be saved. I believe you died for me. I'm willing to follow you. Please forgive me and grant me this new life and come to live inside of me. Father, I ask that you would bring people to yourself for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made a decision to follow Christ or you want to talk to someone, please do that before you leave. Be in prayer and we hope that you'll have a blessed week. God bless you. Reminder, there's a leaders meeting for those of you that have been invited. It's over in the um, Woodside room after the service. Thank you.